This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast with me, Matt Addison. Alongside me, first of all, for this football finance special on the Blood Red channel is Price of Football podcaster and University of Liverpool lecturer Kieran Maguire. Liverpool aren't going to sign a central defender this January, but how big a risk would that be financially and are they being overly cautious? Well, we'll get started straight away and dive into some of the topics we're going to go into, Kieran. I hope you're well. Let's start with the obvious question. I mean, how big a risk is not signing somebody this month for Liverpool? And if they were to miss out, say, on the Premier League title or on the top four, how much would they then stand to lose? Qualifying for the Champions League is far more of a critical issue than winning the Premier League because... Uh, as we saw with Liverpool's finances in 2019, when, when they won the Champions League, it was worth over 100 million in TV money. They then had seven home games at Anfield, which realistically were bringing in another 30 plus bonuses from sponsors for, for getting that far. So, so top four is essential uh, from a financial perspective when you're a club of the calibre of Liverpool and, you, and you've got the overheads uh, that, that go with that. Uh, so I think that will be uh, the focus. And, and Jurgen Klopp has been hinting at that in some of his recent interviews. Um, uh, therefore, investing in players uh, always uh, has benefits in the sense that it can reinvigorate a squad, uh, but it comes at a financial cost. Liverpool do have the ability to go out and buy a player. You know, that, that, for me, is of no doubt. But if I look at the fund fundamentals of finances yes they've been hit by covid along with every other club but the the impact that that has had if we take a look at the european market is the transfer prices have fallen by a third uh, across uefa's borders and therefore there is the opportunity to to buy players for lower prices i think that the driving issue is jürgen klopp will probably be looking at the position in in six months time and if, if, you've, if you're spending 40 to 50 million pounds on a central defender, then it could be a case of trying to squeeze four players into three positions or three into two. Um, and it's, uh, it, it can lead to uh, you know, dissatisfaction if, if a player's been signed uh, and has been told that he's, he's going to be a regular player and that doesn't materialise. It sort of seems to me that in terms of, of getting into the Champions League and, and stuff like that, it would be a massive gamble, though, for Liverpool not to sign someone this this window, even if it was a short-term stopgap, say, for, for four or five million pounds this window. That four or five million pounds investment, if it gets them into the top four or, or it possibly even wins them the Premier League title, that would be instantly paid back, wouldn't it? Um. It, it, it will be, but in doing so, it's effectively saying to the, the younger players that we don't have faith in you. And you know, clearly, there's, there's a limited number of people that get to see the players in training on a day-to-day -day basis to see how they're developing, to make a decision as to whether uh, they are, are worthy of a first team place on a regular basis. And, and you know, clearly, I'm, I'm, I don't have the, the skill set or, or the knowledge to, to comment on that. In terms of a, a small fee, would you actually be upgrading on, on the players who are presently taking those those places in the team? You know, it could be you sign a player for four to five million pounds. Um, he's not been playing regularly for his own team, so therefore it takes him another three to four weeks to get match fit. And 
if, if Liverpool win the next three to four games, he, he's then sitting around because somebody has come in and, and shown themselves to be capable. So it's always a delicate balancing act in, in terms of uh, looking at the budget. And, and remember, it's, it's not just a transfer fee. Realistically, somebody who's, who's joining Liverpool is going to be expecting a salary of three to four million pounds a year. Um, if, if they sign on a you know, two, two and a half year contract, then that cost uh, accelerates in, in terms of the overall cost of the club. And for all we know, that Liverpool might have their sights on, on making a signing in June. And, and therefore, the, the person who they have signed in January then becomes surplus to requirements. How would it work, say, if Liverpool were to get somebody on loan? I mean, obviously the finances of that would be different, but would that be a possibility for Liverpool? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are players um, who are surplus to requirements elsewhere um, and loan signings can certainly work. Uh, again, you've got to ask yourself, why are those players not getting first-team football where they are presently. So if, if they're not good enough for a team in Europe or another team in the Premier League, would they actually be an upgrade as, as far as Liverpool are concerned uh, in, in respect of um, any issues that, that are to do with the defence? But certainly alone to the end of the season um, is, is affordable and uh, it's feasible. But uh, you know, Liverpool play to a certain style uh, in terms of the way that Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp likes football. Would the player be able to adapt quickly enough to actually make an impact between now and the end of the season? Having said that, you know, we're only 19 games into the season, so so there is you know, there are plenty of games uh, you know, before before the the final positions are, are confirmed. I suppose what Liverpool fans would say is it's not just a, a risk in terms of, of the footballing side of things, getting into the Champions League, that's important as well. But there's a few other sort of impacts as well. As I don't think there's any sort of direct link with the Nike kit deal, for example, if they didn't get into the Champions League. But I suppose you'd have to say that if it's a disappointing season for Liverpool, if they don't maybe win something this season, there will be a knock-on effect in terms of, of revenues and, and other streams of income as well. Good news sells merchandise. Football clubs are aware of that, and, and I'm sure everybody at Anfield is striving to achieve that aim. Um, the Nike deal will have uh, step-ups. It will have bonuses embedded into it for, for achieving particular goals. Now, those could be linked to on-field performance. They could be linked to the volume of sales themselves, for all we know. Uh, but there, there's no doubt there's, there is a positive correlation between clubs that win football matches and, and the number of pieces of merchandise that are sold because fans at the end of a match, even if it's a match which is taking place on television, um, they, they, they tend to, to feel good about things. And if they feel bad, they'll go onto social media and moan. If they feel good, they're more inclined to say, well, such and such scored a goal. Uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about that third kick, but it's a bit of a weird colour. But uh, yeah, they just won four in a row, tell you what, I'll... I'll I'll take I'll, I'll take I'll take it on. So you know, it, it's it, it's small sort of individual match performances which which can tilt, and it's if it's a few people at each match, then then that adds up over the course of the season. So yeah, certainly Nike will be uh, desperate for Liverpool to to get into the Champions League as as much as the fans, because uh, the Champions League is is a very good vehicle for displaying the 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 wares of of Nike. Um, themselves. You know, it, it's free publicity every time a team the calibre of Liverpool goes onto the field of play uh, for a big match in Europe. 
I suppose that must be the reason why Nike was so keen to, to get Liverpool in the first place. I suppose it must be a bit of a, a disappointment for them if Liverpool aren't up to the, the standards of, of what they've been in, in previous years because this was the club that they'd strived and, and even went into to court to try and, and get hold of. Yes, but uh, yeah, if, if we go back, it, it's only it's only three years ago that, that Liverpool finished fourth and, and everybody seemed happy about that. The, the amazing achievements of 2019 and 2020 have set a new benchmark. Um, no, nobody's guaranteed uh, places in the Champions League, in, in the Premier League these days, which, which is, is a good thing, in my view, as, as a neutral. Nobody has a right. So you know, whilst we have a competitive league, uh, and we do because of the way that the, the money is distributed presently, um, then uh, you know, we're effectively looking at six into four, five into four at the start of each season. There's a case for saying that Arsenal have dropped out of uh, competition uh, in, in terms of their ability to qualify for Champions League places. But uh, it, 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 the fact that it isn't a guarantee actually helps the clubs in some way because, again, it drives viewers. Um, and, and it helps uh, in terms of broadcasting and, and uh, negotiations and collaborations with commercial partners. Yeah, Liverpool, obviously, the, the Champions League qualification and that sort of thing is very much in their own hands. The fact that there's no fans inside Anfield, very much not in their hands. I think it's been three games where they've had 2,000 fans in each and they're taking it a 3 million or so hit per game. So that is a huge sort of contributing factor, I think, to the fact that in 1920, Liverpool their revenue dropped by £43 million. I mean, that was obviously a season in which they won the Premier League for the first time in 30 years. And I suppose we can't underestimate the impact of the pandemic as well. I mean, how much do you think that will have played into the fact that Liverpool aren't signing anyone this month? And probably a lot of other teams across the country are not signing anybody either. Well, you're absolutely right, Matt. If we take a look at the... Uh, there's two issues. That there's, there's the quantity of deals... And then there's the value of deals. Uh, it, it, as far as the, the summer 2020 market was concerned, it was noticeable that there were no 100 million euro plus signings made. Um, this was for, for two reasons. A, uh, prices had dropped in the market because uh, selling clubs tended to be a little bit more desperate to sell and buying clubs ne didn't necessarily have the money to spend. Uh, and secondly, from a from a cultural point of view, uh, the the Premier League has come in for criticism from uh, politicians for the amount of spending that did take place. And, and the Premier League spent more money than than anywhere else in Europe. I mean, the Premier League spent twice as much as as La Liga or the Bundesliga or, or these uh, 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 and Serie A. So so the, the Premier League was very much where it was at uh, in, in even in the subdued market, but. Uh, that the, the the negotiators on behalf of the Premier League they were actually quite relieved at the lack of spending because they were going into uh, board or Zoom conversations as we all do these days with politicians with civil servants and putting forward the case for allowing elite sport to return um, and because of it is it, 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 it's the only it's the only thing in town at present you know there's there's no live TV as such with the exception of news channels, which are extremely depressing and uh, a limited amount of sport. So uh, I think for the, for the good of the, the nation's health, you know, in terms of the football fan base, 
that, that was part of the, the case that was put forward. What they didn't want is, is politicians to, to turn around, as they have done uh, on, on more than one occasion, and use, uh, use football as, as a convenient excuse for the failures in terms of track and trace and uh, health issues and, and, and the broader issues. So, so football became a focal point for uh, for COVID in some ways. And, and I think that the, the relative lack of spending in, in the transfer market has perhaps helped the Premier League in its ongoing negotiations. But nobody, nobody's spending money. If, if we take a look at where we are today, we're into the last week of the window and who, who signed anybody? You know, it, it, it's common. Uh, club, clubs such as Manchester United, you know, they're losing four million pounds a match. Spurs are doing the same. Liverpool three to three and a half. Arsenal the same. Um, so if you're if you're taking that financial hit, what you do in business is that you look at the things which you have to pay out, which for football clubs are wages, and, and you know some of the core overheads, you know the electricity, the insurance, and things of that nature, and then discretionary spending. It, it, it's the same as you or I, Matt. When we get to the week before payday, it's Saturday night. We look at our bank balance. We say, "Well, I'd like to go out. I'd like to go and see my mates. I'd like to have a few scoops." Yep, in a non-COVID world, of course. Um, but I can't do so because it, it's financially irresponsible. And, and that's the same for, I think, uh, for, for many boardrooms as far as football clubs are concerned. You mentioned La Liga there and obviously the, the big two, Barcelona and, and Real Madrid, they seem to be struggling financially. We've seen Barcelona's accounts come out earlier this week. I mean, Liverpool, as much as they might not be in a position to go out and, and spend loads and loads of money, they seem to be in a better position than both of those clubs, which I think if you'd have said that a few years ago, that would have just been laughed at, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah. relative to those clubs, I think Liverpool are in a strong position and I think you've got to give credit to the management team for getting there because they've made the right decisions on the pitch and off the pitch so that they've been sort of in a virtuous circle uh, in terms of looking at new ways of generating money. And in the Deloitte report, which came out, I think it was interesting to say that Liverpool have been at the forefront of digitising. It's a horrible management speak word of digitising the fan base in finding new ways of engaging with them. And once you start to engage with people a bit more, then you can start to uh, offer them things which might be of interest and those things could cost money. And, and this is a way of, of generating extra revenue. Um, Liverpool, because they're in the Premier League, are in a relatively stronger position than clubs in La Liga because the Premier League TV deal is the most lucrative in the world. And if we take a look at both Barcelona and Real Madrid, they both have huge stadiums um, which generate vast amounts of money on a match day. A greater proportion of their, their revenue comes from match day than is the case for Liverpool. Then they've also got seven-day engagement with fans that their museums, their stadium tours are more lucrative because more money's been invested in them historically. I think it's issues of that nature that um, that Liverpool uh, will be wanting to address in due course. I mean, I, I was talking to uh, a chief executive of a club uh, last week who said that uh, during when we were in tier two, uh, for those those heady days. Um, he went with his family to the new Spurs stadium and they went on the, 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 the walk over the top of the stadium. You know, there's this, this roof walk. 
Um, and he said by the time he'd paid for that for a trip to the museum, him and a couple of kids bought a little bit of merchandise, it was 250 quid. And there were lots of people doing that because you know there, there was a there were some tourists there there were some fans there who hadn't managed to see see their team play uh, and it's issues of this nature which i think barcelona and real madrid historically have been good at um i think it's something that liverpool's owners are keen to address uh, in due course if you go to to anfield on a non-match day there's not a lot happening um and, and i think it's something which uh, they will be keen to develop um, and that's the nature of the relationship with fsg yeah, I mean, moving on a, a little bit towards more sort of the, the footballing side of things. I mean, Liverpool have a, a lot of, of new contracts to think about over the next couple of, of seasons or so. Some big players in need of, of renewals, not least Mohamed Salah and, and Virgil van Dijk. But it's the same situation for a few other teams as well. Kylian Mbappe keeps being linked with Liverpool. I don't think that's massively realistic, to be honest, with the sums of money that would be involved in that. But he does only have 12 months left on his PSG contract this summer. So... It's not just Liverpool, it, it, it's across the world, really. There's a sort of balance to be struck, isn't there, between getting these new contracts to, to sort of keep hold of these players. But at the same time, even if PSG were forced into selling someone as big as Mbappe, they probably wouldn't get the money that they'd want for him. But equally, a club probably couldn't even afford to pay 150 or so million this summer for a player with 12 months left on their contract. So... There's some big decisions, I suppose, is what I'm getting at in terms of, of players all across Europe, in terms of, of Liverpool as well as of other big clubs. Yes, it's, it's always a challenging act for uh, clubs and executives uh, in terms of, of the way that they look at the budgets going forward. And, and you know, Liverpool will have a big spreadsheet um, with the, the names of all the players who are first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice in terms of individual positions when, when their contracts expire, um, matching those to existing members of the squad. And they will be doing assessments and they will be saying, well, is this player an upgrade or, or, a, or at the level, the same level of our existing squad? And, and those, those will be the parameters that will be used to drive uh, players. We've seen Manchester United with Paul Pogba. They extended his contract. They took up an option because otherwise he could potentially have left this summer uh, on a Bosman. Um, he's mysteriously discovered some form in recent matches, just at a time when uh, you know, he would be quite a saleable asset and, and be able to negotiate a very lucrative contract um, it, as, he, as he moves towards the last year of, of his, uh, his existing relationship with Manchester United. Again, the club might choose to renew it. It, it, might, it might not. It might choose to cash in. Um, and, and that is the same all across Europe. You know, uh, Lionel Messi's contract you know, ends this summer. Is he going to sign a new one at Barcelona? Is he going to come to the Premier League? Could he be involved in a swap for Mbappe? You know, it, all of this stuff is it, it keeps us engaged with the game at a time when uh, you know, we are sort of seeking for some form of, of respite from, from the ravages of COVID. But in terms of that and in terms of, of these contracts, I mean, is there almost an argument to say that if COVID does have an impact over, say, the next couple of years in terms of a knock-on effect, whether that's direct or indirect, maybe we see a few more players leave on free transfers? Because if you look at all of these players who possibly will be needing new contracts, you mentioned Messi there as well, of course, is a huge player and somebody that would be very, very valuable in terms of his contract, in terms of you know, a new deal. Is there almost an argument to say that clubs might 
sort of go down a route of, of letting these players go down to a, a free contract and just in the knowledge that there'll be others that they could replace them with on the same basis? Yes, there is. I mean, we, we could move to uh, more of a more of a swap relationship. Uh, you know, one of the biggest transfers last summer was Arthur going to Juve and Pjanic going to, to Barcelona. Um, and that reduces uh, certain elements of fees, reduces certain elements of debts um, and things of that nature. Clubs are looking at, at ways of, of reducing um, their, their external costs. Uh, you know, it, has been, it has been mentioned, I think, in, in the newspapers in the last couple of days that uh, Barcelona owe over 100 million in terms of outstanding transfers. But if you take a look at the Premier League, that applies to a lot of clubs there. The Premier League collectively owes over £1.5 billion in outstanding instalments on transfers. So whilst fans are saying, well, who are we going to pay? Who are we going to buy in, in this window and the next window? They're ignoring the fact that the club might already be into a, a six-figure sum in terms of you know, 100, 100 million or more for, for players that they signed over the course of the last couple of years and therefore the club has no money to to pay for somebody new due to the impact of covid the reduction in in match day income the rebates which have had to be given to uh, broadcasting companies and the fact that some sponsors are trying to renew on on low terms because they say you know it's not what we paid for yeah we, everybody has concluded that football taking place in empty stadiums is not what we sign up for as fans. Either attend the clinic, we can't attend the matches, but even as armchair fans. Uh, and again, all I can say is that, that speaking to, to somebody at a club uh, at a high position recently, he says the only possible good thing which could come out of COVID is that those clubs which have held fans in contempt, they just used them as people to, to be patronised and to be relieved of cash. Um, but they've now got to, to up their game because there's no guarantee that football matches will sell out when, when we come out of lockdown. Um, a, for, for economic reasons, you know, millions of people will have been made unemployed or will be on part-time employment. Um, and have incurred debts as a result of COVID, and we'll be focusing on those. Um, and B, that there will be caution amongst many parts of, of the population in terms of, is it healthy? Is it safe to attend football? And I think that that will be a, a cultural issue, which will take time to address. Uh, you know, if, if people are in vulnerable groups, if they have been shielding, they, they might feel that attending a football match with 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people there um, is, is a step too far and therefore they don't renew their season tickets or therefore they don't apply for match day tickets. The football industry is going to have to work harder to sell tickets than it has done in the past. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting few seasons to follow, I think, isn't it? And looking ahead in, in terms of the transfer market in the summer, there's sort of been a few suggestions from various places that if Liverpool don't spend this summer, if they don't spend, for example, on a centre-back, they might be able to, to go and do something in the summer. But do you think that's realistic for, for not just Liverpool, but I suppose for, for all the big teams, but, but Liverpool in particular, to go and, and have a big summer of spending? Or has the impact of COVID sort of lessened the likelihood of that at all? Um, the, the, num the numbers are likely to be down uh, overall because 
In 2020, we had three months of matches behind closed doors. Um, that will be uh, extended to 12 months for, for this summer. Um, clubs are also aware, buying clubs, that whilst the Premier League has been hit, continental Europe has taken a much bigger hit. Uh, there is a greater reliance upon match day income. We've seen the French TV deal with Media Pro uh, collapse, um, and French football is, is facing uh, a, a more severe financial crisis than, than English, uh, than the Premier League. So I think that will be a natural driver of, of fees going down, and there is less money to spend. There, there will be a few exceptions. Those clubs which are funded uh, by ultra-high net worth individuals, so I think we have to be realistic, we are talking Chelsea and Manchester City here, are far more immune from the ravages and, and the financial consequences of COVID than a club such as Liverpool or indeed Manchester United, who have uh, American owners who are, are more focused on the financial model. Uh, you know, Roman Abramovich doesn't bother him if the club loses money. His focus, as we've seen last summer, spent two hundred and fifty million pounds because it, it's it's loose change to him. Uh, there's a far stricter financial model uh, operating uh, via FSG, and that has plenty of merits. It doesn't put the club into the same degree of risk um, as we see. Uh, you know, when things can go wrong at clubs who have been relegated, when, when Aston Villa went down, they nearly went out of business. We saw Sunderland go down and they slipped into to League One. And there, we see lots of clubs borrowing money from sources, which, which indicate uh, that the clubs are now seen at high risk. If, if a football club is paying interest of, of 9, 10, 11%, and, and that's what some of the loans are, from from uh, the the new lenders, uh, that that's reflecting the fact that they don't they're not convinced that there's a hundred percent certainty of, of the club being able to make the instalments on time. Otherwise, somebody would have come in and lent the club money at a much lower rate. And I suppose in terms of transfers, it works both ways, doesn't it? Just to to finish off, I mean. For Liverpool, obviously, there might be opportunities, say in France, to to go and get a, a player perhaps a little bit cheaply. But at the, the other end of the spectrum, maybe they missed out a little bit in terms of sales. You think of Shakiri, Marco Gruich, Harry Wilson, players like that. They now won't be able to get the same sorts of figures that they would have hoped for those players. Yes, I, I agree entirely with you. I mean, sort of the what we might call mid-tier players in terms of the expected fees. The whole market has collapsed um, or has, has fallen. And the, the mid-tier players... The, there has been a, a greater proportionate acceleration in the decline of fees. And, and the reason for that is that historically there had been a, a lot of clubs who, who were willing to pay somewhere in the, you know, in, in the eight to 15 million pound bracket. And an awful lot of those clubs are now saying, we're just going to do Bosmans, we're just going to do loans. And, and therefore, clubs trying to sell players in that particular price bracket um, are finding it more difficult. Yeah, certainly. Kieran, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate your time this morning. And if anyone wants to know more about any of these topics, I'm sure they can check out your podcast, which uh, if you would like to, to give that a plug now, feel free. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's the Price of Football podcast. It's, it's the podcast that should never have been successful and in an ideal world shouldn't exist because it's all about uh, the business of football and, and some of the scary stories about money in the game. Um, and unfortunately, at present, there's too many of them.
Yeah, certainly not at FSG, though, which I think we should probably remember a little bit more frequently with Liverpool. Kieran, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And I'm now joined by the Echo's business of football writer, Dave Powell, to talk through a few different money and finance topics from this week as well. And Dave, I want to, to start with one of the bigger Liverpool stories of the week, I think, in that Red Bull acquisitions and FSG, it seems that deal is now off the table. Officially, it was never on the table to begin with, I don't think, on the record. But we do know that they were sort of starting to go down that route. It, it seems that won't be the case now. What's the, the sort of latest story behind that and, and why is that seemingly broken down? Um, well, it's for the, the main reason being that um, when Red Bull um, produced their IPO back in the summer, um, they raised about $575 million. Um, and that was the first kind of tranche of investment that they uh, received. And what they needed to do was raise another kind of $950 million, $975 million to to kind of get that 20% stake in, in FSG. But um, ultimately what appears to happen is that they've not been able to do that, um, not been able to get um, the investment they need, um, largely because kind of institutional investors, so companies that operate on behalf of investing clients, um, they've kind of wanted a bit more equity and a bit more value from um, from kind of what the deal was offering, and, and ultimately it's um, it's hinged upon that. Um, there's been no breakdown in relationship. Um, if anything, the relationships could could well manifest itself in in Jerry Cardinal possibly um, going down the private investment route uh, into FSG. But I think in terms of the whole Billy Bean, I mean that was like the fun part of it. I think. Um, but I, th- I think that now seems that Bean will kind of focus his efforts on um, Oakland for the coming season in, in the MLB. Um, and then Red Bull will probably look to kind of move into the European football market again, or possibly esports, which is a, a, a huge growth market because um, it's something which, you know, that basically when, when the IPO was raised, um, Red Bull then the clock starts ticking to the 24 months in which to secure investment, invest them, you know, otherwise once that passes, uh, investors' monies go back to the investors. Um, so yeah, the, the clock's ticking on that. So I think it was in the interest of all parties to kind of break it off as, as soon as it realised it wasn't going to be um, <clears throat> something which they could kind of strike a deal on. Um, but yeah, we could well see kind of Red Bird, which is Jerry Cardinal's um, private equity firm, um, invest in FSG in the future. So what do you think comes next for, for FSG? Is it still the plan to, to go down that route, but maybe go about it in a slightly different way then? Is is that the most likely sort of next step for them? I don't think um, public listing is probably um, going to happen in the short term now. Um, this could well be a precursor to um, possibly happening in, in a few years' time. I mean, these things have a way of working like that. But um, sporting organisations in the main when they are, Publicly listed, they are smaller than the kind of other traditional businesses that that go on the stock market. Um, so it's about creating value from that. I think what might happen, I mean, the idea behind it was really to try and capitalise the business. So once you raise, you know, you, you go on the uh, the stock market, you can raise money. I think the idea was to raise about four hundred and fifty million, um, kind of straight off the bat. I mean, that's for FSG. So. That could have been used to um, capitalise the business and possibly help strengthen both 
the Red Sox, Liverpool, and also kind of Roush Fenway Racing. But I think what will happen now um, is they'll they're still, they're still seeking private investment. Um, that seems to be the case, and I think Jerry Cardinal and Henry have a good relationship. They're already well aligned because they've been quite far down the road with this. And and for what I'm I'm, I'm told from people close to it, the, the talks are still ongoing um, about that. But I think the uh, anything involving Bean is probably now now off the table. Yeah, which sort of seems a little bit of a shame, doesn't it? We know the the relationship between Billy Bean, John Henry, and and that sort of thing. It, it sort of seems like Liverpool will miss out in a, in a sense in in that way. But I suppose it's not the end of the road in this, as you say. It's it's a case of, of finding a different way of going about it. Whether that's without Billy Bean, it it can still be beneficial for Liverpool in the long term. I think the Bean um, idea was it was fun because I mean it, uh, you know people who've seen Moneyball it's a great film that the whole narrative behind the the story is great um, it's statistical analysis and, and kind of sabermetrics are, are something which um, Henry utilised through Theo Epstein when when he took over at um, uh, when when they took over at the Red Sox so and, and Jerry Cardinals has an interest in that he, he's bought kind of you know similar business ventures that, that look into kind of data driven analytics and, and things like that so it's all kind of well aligned but um, I think that the idea for Bean was this was to be his um, kind of final um fling with baseball last season um and then he was going to move into something new um and the idea being he already has small minority shareholdings in barnsley and um he's at altmar in holland um and he's you know he, he has a, a real interest in in kind of expanding that and i think his uh, kind of knowledge would have come into play in terms of building that football club portfolio that kind of um, multi-club platform that, that you kind of see with um City Football Group at Man City and Red Bull with RB Leipzig. So, um, I mean, that could still uh, transpire eventually, um, although through Cardinal, because, I mean, Jerry Cardinal um, through Redbird, who is the firm that could well invest in Liverpool privately, um, still, uh, he bought um, Toulouse in France last summer, um, where Damien Camoli has been installed as... Um, chairman fairly soon after Damien Camoli is also a friend of, of Billy Bean so it's you know all these things kind of link back into one you know giant circle so um, um, that could be on, on the table but I think the Bean aspect of it was Billy Bean is supposed to drive forward that kind of multi-platform and um, multi-club platform um, and I think now it could well be that, that they try and just separate that and, and, and look elsewhere and, and esports is something which is a huge growth market and, and and that's ultimately, I think he's after a new challenge, but he is staying with the Oakland Athletics through this current MLB season, which is set to run till the end of November. So um, for the time being, that's that's what's on his plate. Yeah, definitely. We'll come back to, to baseball and the Red Sox in, in just a second. But before we do that, I know there's another story that you've covered this week. The Deloitte Money League table has been released again, the latest version of that. Liverpool into the top five. Ahead of Manchester City, only the two Spanish clubs, Bayern Munich and, and Manchester United, ahead of them. Obviously, those all sound good. The fact that Liverpool have, have moved ahead of Manchester City is, is never going to be a bad thing. But what does that actually mean for Liverpool and, and why is this important? Um, for, first of all, yes, but you know, but you, you, these tables are a good indication of um, the, the ability for these clubs to generate revenue. Um, but ultimately, if you flip the script and look at the top two teams of so Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, they're enormously debt-laden. Um, Barcelona are facing the prospect of having to um, go back to 
banks in which they have huge loans with uh, asking for a, a deferral of payment in order to to meet their obligations you know so they, they, there's a um it, just one doesn't necessarily mean the other if, if, if you get my, my point but what it does show i think is uh, it's the first time since liverpool have appeared in this list since 2001-2 season um but it, it it's kind of been traded off the back of their success in Europe, um, mainly, I mean, because that Champions League season managed to rake in over 100 million for the football club. Um, if it was just be, I mean, and, and that figure would go up this season if they were to, you know, if success is achieved. But um, they've managed to been very good at leveraging success, leveraging success on the pitch um, with financial success off it. Um, but kind of, I suppose, with what it does bring into focus is the fact that. Um, their their kind of reluctance to to spend big in in this transfer window. It, I mean, seeing them appear in this list is bound to rankle with with supporters, and understandably so. Um, there is um, more of a colder, harder aspect to um, running Liverpool as a business. I think um, as opposed to it's not the wild west of spending. They're very sensible with their spending. It's been a and, and this isn't to to knock it at all. It's been a a model which has served them remarkably well when you look at um look at some of the deals which they've managed to, to kind of negotiate since they've come in so coutinho signed for eight million sold for 142 suarez huge uptick in, in the money they received from that um salah's um value has increased threefold same as sadio mane so you know these are um and, and virgil van dyke as well they paid a huge amount of money for virgil van dyke and he's still and, and even still now they probably realized 45 50 million pounds on top of that um, so it's, they've been hugely clever in, in, in being able to do that, um, but in terms of revenue streams, they've they've been able to commercially get some strong deals done. Um, the Nike deal doesn't fall into this uh, accounting period. I think you're going to see the benefit of that Nike deal probably in 2022, 20, uh, 21 accounts, uh, 22 season accounts. So once all that kicks in, so the royalties kick in because that's the big thing. I mean, 30 million pounds a year from the Nike deal and. Um, the, the big thing is going to be the 20% kick on kick back on the licensed merchandise, which is ultimately where you're going to see the, the growth of the brand. And there is some expectation that that might push um, the figure above 70 million, which would see them probably just behind Manchester United and their huge Adidas deal that they have. Um, but yeah, it's a case of the club is being managed tremendously well off the pitch. Um, Jurgen Klopp does a fantastic job of managing it on the pitch. Um, but it's a case of kind of marrying those two things Um moving forward because there is a, a real risk that they tread water uh, and this kind of uh, appearance in the top five of the, the money league, however good it is, um, means that, that it's kind of a, a stick to beat them with now um, because obviously people see that there's, there's, there's money coming into the business. It's, you know, it's it's a strong, in a strong position compared to some. Um, so the questions pose why did they, uh, Premier League side spend more than them um, in the past year, you know, so it's uh, there's difficult questions to ask and it doesn't look like they're going to pull the trigger on anything in this 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 transfer window, but um, you, you worry that this might become kind of um, a running theme in terms of a stick to beat them with because people see the club now doing so well um, and it's it's one of those things it, they have to think the two things have to go hand in hand 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I suppose just to, to go back to, to the Red Sox and, and baseball, I suppose we could almost learn from what they've done during the, the pandemic and, and during coronavirus and sort of assume that they're going to run Liverpool in a, a similar sort of way. I know that the two uh, teams are, are very much separate entities within FSG. They don't you know, apply necessarily the same tactics to each of them. But how have, have the Red Sox been been dealing with this? I think there's there's been contracts, there's been star player issues over there as well, which I suppose you could say with the likes of Mohamed Salah could apply at Anfield too. Yeah, I mean, I'm working on, on, on something around this as well. So it's um, basically it's um, they are. It's important to stress that they are completely separate entities, business-wise. One, you know, what what one does doesn't necessarily um, follow with what another does. Um, but the Red Sox is something which FSG have been um, so entwined with for for almost twenty years now. Um, they won the World Series uh, in two thousand eighteen last. Um, and the following season, they tanked big style um, because I think there was some expectation that that afforded FSG a little bit of wiggle room because American sports is very different uh, in terms of there is always a, an acceptance that a transitional period follows, um, not necessarily follows success, but in order to achieve success. Um, there's no real dynasties in American fo- in American sport. Um, there, are, there are big market teams who have achieved success but there's no guarantee of these teams. If you look through American sport, you know whether it's the NBA, whether it's the NFL, whether it's MLB, and there are huge teams, big market teams, which will always drive the big money and um, get the big players, but it doesn't necessarily translate to success. There's always a period of, of transition. Um, so FSG have, have kind of took the opportunity, I think, after that World Series success to take their foot off the gas. And I'm not saying that that kind of parallels into, I mean, obviously Liverpool won the Premier League last season, won the Champions League the year before that. Um, so it's interesting to see if they understand that football fandom um, doesn't accept that, uh, you know, these these periods of, it's going to, you know, the period of transition to Liverpool to become Premier League champions was 30 years so it's not, you know, it's not like the the. I don't think it's right to ex- expect fans to think, well, we'll, we'll just um, wait and see what happens, and, and the next time we win the league, there is an expect expectation now because Liverpool positioned themselves at the very top of the English game again to push forward with that. And there's a few things which you look at stateside of what's gone on, and they implemented wage cuts um, at the Red Sox at the pandemic for staff, um, some players, and then. They also, um, Mookie Betts was one of their star players um, last season. Um, he, the, the decision was taken to trade him um, early doors rather than offer a, a contract which they weren't really, really willing to meet the, the money that we, it would need to be paid. Um, you can understand the, the, the idea behind that because it secures some kind of value for him um, before risking losing them as a free agent, um, because they're able to get trades and, and ca- you know and cash equivalents and, and things like that. But um, if you were to flip script and look at that in the situation they might face with Mo Salah or or someone like that, whereby would they be willing to sell just because they'd be able to recoup, um, or do they hedge their bets and, and and pay what's needed to to keep their star players? So that's obviously not happened at at the Red Sox, um, whereby they still operate this mantra it's important to note that henry's um kind of desire to work with bean comes from um how bean managed to get value 
out of um, players which nobody else saw value in. Um, so that kind of takes away, and ownership loves that because it takes away the need to spend big money on big players in their prime when you can just um, kind of pad out your roster with with um, people who can pick up the stats and, 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 and give you success on a, a far smaller budget so you can understand why his interest to, to work with Bean all those years ago. Um, but I do think that you can't immediately assume that um, one approach in America will translate into what they've done here. Um, they actually used um, the, the kind of the US government's equivalent of the furlough scheme, um, which they tried to implement kind of with real <laughs> lack of success over here. I mean, it was always going to be a... Um, it was always a bad decision and it's it's one of the the kind of the real missteps that they've made since they've been um owners of of liverpool but with roush fenway racing and their nascar team they actually use kind of the government's um uh, kind of the, the us government's equivalent of the furlough scheme there um so it's not without you know kind of some similarities um across the board um but there's also the, the notion of um how does it look if uh, to, to Red Sox fans, although the two are completely separate entities, what does it look like if um, they spend big on Liverpool in this transfer window, yet they implemented staff cuts and were willing to let go their um, star player or trade their star player and without instead of offering him a big deal? So, it, you know, there's. I think while that while they may say that that's not an issue, the two things are separate. Reality is they're owned by the same company, um, and. Public perception is is everything. Um, so th- they're a real sticky situation at the moment, FSG, in terms of it's the most delicate time in their relationship with Liverpool fans, I think. Um, and they'll have to be it'd be interesting to see the steps they take because they'll be very careful in terms of souring what has been a, a good relationship and, and a fruitful one so far. Yeah, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Making sure they get those decisions right and plenty of, of big contract decisions coming up as well. We're going to run a series across Blood Red looking at those different decisions over the next few weeks. So do keep an eye out for that. But that just about brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much to Kira Maguire, first of all, and then Dave Powell just now for their insight. That's all we've got time for here today, though, on this Blood Red podcast from myself, Matt Addison, from Kieran and from Dave. Thanks for listening. Thank you for watching and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.